is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. It happens to be the reading for the second week in Lent in the year C cycle of the lectionary. It is one of the scriptures to be read on March 13, 2022. This short passage of scripture in Luke's gospel outlines how Jesus responds to some of the obstacles that he faces as he looks toward Jerusalem and what will ultimately be the end of his ministry. And Jesus faces these obstacles with a deep sense of purpose. In this particular text in verse 31, it says at that very time, some Pharisees approached him saying, go away and leave this place because Herod wants to kill you. This is indeed an obstacle for Jesus and how he handles it well, is deep with meaning for us. You know, the approach of these Pharisees is somewhat suspicious. Now, the Pharisees are part of the religious order of Jewish society in Jesus's day. And when we read the Gospels, we often read about Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and priests. And the easiest way I've been able to explain this to people over the years is that the Pharisees are the synagogue leaders uh, in some sense. Sometimes they're rabbis, but oftentimes they're just simply scholars in the Jewish law. Now, the Pharisees are actually those amongst people teaching people, but it's the scribes who are the true experts in the Pharisees. So the scribes are those who actually scribe or copy the Jewish law onto new scrolls. So they are sometimes called lawyers when we read the Gospels. So there are Pharisees with scribes as their experts, and then there are the Sadducees, who are not in the story at all, but the Sadducees are those who are typically more dedicated to the temple ritual in the city of Jerusalem, those who are a part of that priestly ritual that happens in and around the Jewish temple. And of course, the priests are their professionals. The Sadducees are those who simply surround that space, supporting the space of temple worship, but it's the priests, the Jewish priests, and ultimately the high priests that are responsible for its leadership. And so among these four groups, it's the Pharisees that come to Jesus, and it's the Pharisees who have opposed Jesus, but they also have a great deal in common with Jesus as sort of this rabbinic teacher out amongst the people. The Herod in this story is not Herod the Great from the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke. No, this is Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the, the so-called ruler of the area around Perea and Galilee, the area in which Jesus does most of his public ministry. And so this message that comes from these Pharisees that warn him that Herod wants to kill him is a mixed message as it functions as a form of warning. Are these Pharisees actually trying to help Jesus? Or are they just trying to get Jesus to go away, to do his work in a less disruptive place than he's already doing it? Well, Jesus reads through the scheme regardless of how it comes to him. And he responds to the Pharisees by telling them, Go tell that fox. Now, the fox, of course, he's speaking of is Herod. Herod uh, uh, was a, a kind of a, a puppet monarch under Roman rule. And so Jesus calling him a fox really has mixed meaning. In Hebrew, to call someone a fox means uh, that they're dumb or they're somewhat obtuse. If 
in the Greek culture, you call someone a fox. That means they're a person of kind of low cunning or some kind of schemer. Regardless, when Jesus says, go tell that fox, it's a form of insult to Herod. And what Jesus then says is, is quite powerful. He says, you go tell that fox that I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, basically, until I'm done doing it. He says, I'm casting out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and the third day I'll reach my goal. Jesus keeps advancing the work with some sense of resolve. What's happening here is as Jesus encounters these obstacles, he doesn't let those obstacles kind of steer him off course. He responds to the, article, the, the obstacles, but he doesn't react to them. The Jesus goes on to say that ultimately Jerusalem is his goal because it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. It's an idiom, uh, if you will. It's a, it's a reference to the reality that oftentimes happened throughout Jewish religious life and history amongst the prophets, that oftentimes those who were sent to them with God's message were executed or killed. And so Jesus is saying that if I'm going to die, the place I'm going to need to die is in Jerusalem. It's about the intersection of the ministry Jesus is doing and the powers of this age. But he's not going to let himself be steered away from the goal that he set his ministry on. That opens up the key passageway here for us, that obstacles are to be faced with integrity. You see, Jesus seldom amplifies his behavior in the face of challenges, but instead he moves and he drives toward his goals with consistency. He's like one born out of a prayerful mission. Jesus has this galvanized sense of who he is called to be and what he is called to do. Now, this doesn't mean that when he encounters obstacles that he lacks emotion. He doesn't. Uh, this passage is a good instance. You know, go tell that fox. He responds to this uh, suspicious sort of demand with an emotional response in calling Herod a fox. But don't miss the fact that he's driven by his mission. So we need to ask some similar questions about our life's mission and work. Each of us have a ministry and a goal that God has called us to. It is framed by our prayer and discipleship. As exactly like Jesus, the work of Jesus is framed by his prayer and his own discipleship of God. When that happens for us, when, when our lives are framed in prayer and devotion and love to the Lord, then we can share in this same kind of resolve that Jesus has. He doesn't blink. He doesn't waver. There's integrity between what he says and when he do, what he does. He says the same things when nobody's pushing against him and when someone is pushing against him. This, more than anything, characterizes followers of Jesus. It's an integrity calling to love. As we move to the latter part of this particular passage of Scripture, its final two verses, verses 34 and 35, we, we find a lament and we find a prophecy. Now, Jerusalem is the pivot point of the story because Jesus is essentially saying earlier in this passage that the goal he's going on to is Jerusalem. 
And so at verse 34, we see the word Jerusalem occur two times in a row. And Jesus also speaks of the fate of prophets in Jerusalem. So it's on this word pivots a deeper reflection about that city. He repeats the name of the city twice, and he repeats it in the, the Greek text in the vocative case. In other words, he's speaking to the city. And oftentimes this leads to a little bit of confusion. So is he talking about the people in the city? Is he talking about the powers that are present in that city? Is he talking about the geography and the place of that city? We're not exactly sure, but Jesus is speaking somewhat in general, if you will, to the city of Jerusalem and its place. Perhaps he's speaking to all of these things, geography, power, people. It's been the location of many pivotal moments in the history of the Bible. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 34 that Jerusalem is the place that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. And so we read in verse 34 a lament. And the lament follows the words about you know, Jerusalem being the place of the execution of prophets. And Jesus says this, How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her young under her wings, and you were unwilling. That is a lament. The lament here is the intent of the love and grace of God extended but rejected. How I wanted to gather your children. How like a hen gathers her young, Jesus says. And then he tells them that they were unwilling. This is at the heart of a very, for us as United Methodists and as Wesleyan people, part of our understanding of choice. This is the heart of what our theological frame is about, that God is constantly inviting and engaging and extending and reaching. This is a glimpse into the heart of God. It's such a remarkable passage of scripture in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, because we see a God that is longing and hoping and desiring and even suffering. But out of that lament comes this prophecy of Jesus in verse 35, where he says, behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think oftentimes in the Bible, there's a misunderstanding of what prophets do. When we hear prophet, we somehow think they're like a fortune teller or have some magical clairvoyant power. Prophets instead are oftentimes uh, those who affirm the behavior that's currently going on. So oftentimes they condemn the behavior that exists in their midst and they are predictive of outcomes. Think of it this way. A, a prophet in some ways in the Bible is like a, a person who is able to draw the lines between cause and effect. If you persist in this set of actions, a prophet might say, the consequences are natural, not punitive. This is the key. The statement of Jesus appears on the surface to be a judgment against the city. And that's not exactly the case. Read it carefully. There's a purposefulness to what Jesus says here, that Jesus's purposefulness extends to the response of the city. He is the one who brings good news. He is the one who gathers children. He is the one that like a hen would gather them together like chicks. It's their unwillingness that leaves them in a place of vulnerability. 
It boils down to choice, choice, choice. Jesus says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a vision here about whether or not this is somehow referencing Jesus's entrance into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, or if Jesus is referencing some sort of end times or eschatological event, an event that will happen at the end of all things. Jesus holds the integrity of his mission, even in light of the coming rejection, the rejection he'll face in Jerusalem. And that opens up this key passageway to us here, that lament is close to the heart of God. You know, the image we often conjure from childhood might be of a God who is imperial or regal, like a king or queen, or even like a judge sitting in a black robe on a bench. These, these images of God are, are complicating because what we see in this text and what we see from Jesus here is an intentionality on God's part to love, to gather, to bless, to share. The work of God is always to be with us and engage us in love. When we refuse or deny that work, or even worse, when we destroy that loving work of God in others, we find a God in lament. In some ways, it's more like a patient refusing the cure than a wrongdoing in the judicial sense. God is seeking to love. And when that love is spurned, what we see in this text is lament. I mean, what would happen if we lived our lives in the same way, offering love to all, rejoicing when it is received, but filled with lament when it is not? That's it for this week, my friends. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.